Welcome to Tech Whisperers, the podcast that takes you inside the playbook of the world's best digital leaders. This is a show for digital and business leaders who are passionate about learning from the industry shapers and market makers. Join your host, Dan Roberts, as he unpacks the unique stories, leadership philosophies, and answer the call moments that define and differentiate the best leaders of our day. Our goal is to help you gain an edge and move you beyond your comfort zone so that you are driving more impact and value for your team, your company, and your career. Let's get into the show and hear from another amazing tech whisperer. Well, welcome back, everybody, for part two in our two-part series with industry legend Charlie Feld. Two-part series because there's so much ground to cover. Charlie has 55 years of perspective, lessons learned, battle scars. And Charlie, you would say that uh, you've got this great view from the Goodyear blimp looking (laughs) down at all this, right? You're you're still working with 80 companies. You're more active than ever. And so uh, one of the things, uh, the messages I want to make sure people hear from you is, yeah, we do have a big job ahead of us. We have some challenges. You want them to have urgency, not despair. So I'd love to have you maybe start there and also talk about the state of leadership, our next-gen leaders. What do you think when you see what we have coming up now? You know, if you look at the horizon, when I stepped out of my corporate role in 2008, after 40 years or so of, you know, corporate CIO work, the world started changing dramatically because the iPhone was announced and retail was in a spin and mobility took hold. And that was a good time. But as I've gone forward with the Institute, I'm working with about 80 companies that me and my team are helping with develop next generation leaders and trying to share perspective with them. The thing that's exciting about what we're doing is it's not that I am sharing my perspective with them. They're sharing their perspective with us and I'm learning, right? I've probably learned as much in the last 10 or 12 years as I learned in the first 40 years. (laughs) Because the technology is changing, the problems are changing. So we're not talking about what the good old days used to look like. These are the good old days. This is a, a, an outstanding time to be an IT leader. And I'm learning from them. And the other part of it is they're learning from each other. I mean, people can't learn everything themselves. So it's not unusual to see you know, a CTO from one company pick up the phone and we'll connect them to a CTO from another company that's been down that road. So it's this notion of continuous learning. But no matter how quickly you learn, the speed of change is so massive that almost any decision you make, there'll be a better one a year from now, (laughs) right? And, you know, that requires some notion of perspective, of stepping back and seeing patterns and seeing where the world is going, where the world, not where the world has been. And I, you know, I've told people before and they, they laugh at me, but you know, if you're going 10 miles an hour on a straight road in a Model T, you can watch the road. And 
I, I used to say, watch the hood ornament, but most people don't know what a hood ornament is. <laughs> but, you know, you kind of center up on the road and you kind of stay in the middle. If you're going 90 miles an hour on a curvy road, you got to watch the horizon. You cannot watch the road. <laughs> you run yourself off the road. So there's this constant ability to find the horizon and stay focused at the horizon and watch the business patterns and the technology patterns and the political patterns and the decisions that get made that affect companies like trade policy and everything else, right? Because the horizon doesn't change as quickly as the road changes. And that's a big part of what I'm trying to help people work their way through. Uh, you know, they most have grown up as heavy analytic thinkers. That's the era of the industrial era. And, you know, I met Peter Senge, who wrote The Fifth Discipline in the 80s before he wrote the book. And he was, he was lecturing at MIT and I was speaking up there. And he was talking about the way people learn and adapt. And he said, for centuries, the learning model was apprenticeships. Craftsman, you learn from an, you carpenter, whatever, whatever the trade was. And then for 200 years during the industrial era, we got into analytics, industrial engineering, Six Sigma, take the problem, break it down, look at it close in, solve it and put it back piece by piece. And now, and he was saying this in the 80s, at the speed of change, this is in the 80s, right? right. <laughs> He's saying, you've got to watch the horizon. you got to use your imagination. you got to do systems thinking and see how the pieces fit together because you can't overanalyze. Now, the thing that intrigued me about it and the thing that I'm very big on working with people on is all three matter. Experience matters. Analytical skills matter. But now, in addition to that, you've got to be able to watch the horizon and see the patterns that are shaping up if you're going to be an effective change leader. And that's at the heart of being able to survive and thrive in the future. You need to be well-rounded in these things. Yeah, our downhill skiers and bikers will understand that too, right? If you're looking straight down where you're at right now, you're going to be in trouble. You got to look down the hill, right? Same, same idea. Any of the patterns, Charlie, that we should be paying attention to right now as you're thinking about this? Well, yeah, there, there are patterns that are kind of short-lived and you work around the curve and there are patterns that are long-lived. You know, one pattern that I worry about is I think the patterns around technology, people pretty much get and they see this doubling, 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 and you could begin. And we're getting into loosely coupled platform architecture that you can change at the speed of change. You can change the uh, infrastructure platforms, the networks without affecting everything above it. I think we're good on that front. We just need to do the work to get to the other side of breaking the monolith down. But as technology begins to take over the, a lot of the work, the nature of jobs and the nature of what our workforce 
is dealing with is not being thought of. And that's a long running pattern. You can't fix it overnight. If we don't make enough pilots, the airlines are not going to have, you can't make a pilot overnight. If the, you know, our, our children and grandchildren are going to school and they're not being made future ready by giving them context and interesting them in jobs that will be available 10, 15 years from now, they're going to go down the wrong paths. Being able to see the patterns and, you know, I've, I've talked about the pattern of the industrial era when after World War II, when people started buying cars, because cars have been around for 30 years before World War II, but after World War II, people had money and they started to buy cars. And that's when, you know, the 50s, the cars were beautiful in the 60s and right. But they started moving to the suburbs and they started building homes. And all of a sudden, we didn't have enough carpenters, enough electricians, enough welders. We didn't have people that knew how to fix the automobiles. We didn't have mechanics. We didn't have, you know, same things going on here. We don't have enough electric stations. You've got to look down the road to see what the technology, which we know about, is going to do to the workforce and quality of life, because those are long running changes that have got to be made. And, you know, frankly, there's leadership vacuums all over the place as everybody's looking for the next quarter or the next election. It's just something that I see from my blimp. <laughs> I love the blimp view. It's uh, You've got a unique one there, Charlie. And you talk about the next five years preparing people for it to be the most chaotic. You talk about agility being the only strategy. Could you unpack that for us? If you look at the intersection of high change, whatever strategy you have today will change over the next two to three to four years, because countries, invention, innovation is going to change the game. And just like it did in the last 10 years, only this is going to be even more dramatic. And when you think about what should my strategy be, my strategy should be my ability to adapt and to change as the world changes. So you don't want to pour a lot of concrete, right, that says this is what I'm, I'm going to be if I'm a retailer or I'm a hospital system or I'm a bank. I need to build the ability to change. And the change comes in, 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 in two dimensions. One is strategic agility, which means I could change my business model, right, without throwing everything away. Right. And when you look at the ability to change your business model over a year or two, not a decade, that's a nice fit. So if a company like FedEx is going through a business model change now. For decades, they competed collectively as a FedEx, but operated independently as Ground Freight and Express. Post-COVID, post-e-commerce influence, now they're moving to compete collectively, innovate digitally, but operate collaboratively. They still have their units, but their ability to move the package between op operating companies is part of that. And that's just an extension of what they've been doing. It's not a redo. 
That's what you mean by strategic agility, okay? It's making a few more capabilities more common. On the other side of it is the tactical agility, the ability to sense and respond to market conditions that are happening. So fuel prices go up, be able to dynamically price, being able to uh, move workloads to different places, to be flexible in the moment is what we're talking about. And that's really where the AI engines are tied to the transaction systems, right? Without developer intervention, I could change business rules and workflows and price differently. You know, and again, I'll use Uber as an example. I mean, I'm not my mark in the world, but most people understand it. If it starts raining in New York, a $29 trip becomes $49. If there's an accident on the West Side Highway, you know, a $30 trip might become a $60 trip. And they know that from ways because they're putting it together in the moment. That's what I mean by tactical. So the two agility strategies, strategic and tactical, are clear. What's not clear to people is you can't have that if you have technical rigidity. So you need technical agility in order to be able to do this, right? And in order to do any of it, you've got to have organizational agility. You've got to break the stovepipes down. You've got to create McChrystal's team of teams, if you will. I mean, it's just different now than it was before. And, you know, the stovepipes of manufacturing distribution and sale can't be like the Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marine. They got to work together because most of the value is horizontal agility, right? So those are the four agilities that I wrote about in this sequence that's talking about the time is now, right? Now we've got to get there. Yeah. Yeah, and I just want to reference, Charlie, your website, the Feld Group Institute website. You've got this blog series, The Time Is Now. Highly recommend people going to look at that. And your son, Kenny Feld, also did a series of videos that are just outstanding. I mean, just go, you need to go look at these, the different frameworks, the way you guys are thinking about and helping people with this. Who are doing these things well, Charlie? You've mentioned FedEx a couple of times, but is there another company or two that really that are standouts when it comes to these different agilities? Yeah, I think PepsiCo, my old alma mater, is making good progress against this. Uh, you mentioned Boeing. These are big companies with big legacy bases. Toyota's another one, particular Toyota Financial Services, making good progress against building things in a more molecular platform-driven way as opposed to all the business rules and the data are embedded inside of it. But a lot of it is, and the reason we're, we're writing blogs and that we're you know, trying to make these videos that Kenny and John you know, worked on, uh, my other son, is that most IT leaders get it but they just can't sell it as well as Rob Carter or Seth Cohen <laughs> or Ted or Vipin, who's at Toyota. We're trying to figure out ways to help them sell in short snippets. I mean, I had the luxury of building relationships with people. 
of going to lunch with them, of going to dinner with them, of really getting inside. Now, if you think the IT team's calendar is bad, you should see the CFO. You should see this. <laughs> nobody has time and nobody has the attention span. So things like a blog or a podcast or a 10-minute video that TED Talk or something is about what people have. And if they could do it while they're traveling, that's why I was, you know, we started talking about a book. I'm saying, God, I'm not sure anybody reads books anymore. I see all the books behind you there. Who has time? I have time because I make time. But I don't have the same responsibility I had for 40 years of my phone going off in the middle of the night. Well, the think time, the think time, Charlie, you talked about it in the first episode, how in the IBM days, the signs, right? Think, you know, everywhere. John Meister, the CIO of Panera. John is one of the best in the business. John will pick an, a point an hour away and he'll just drive there to think, to mm-hmm. have time to slow things down, look out at the horizon, as you say, and it's just, you got to make the time for it. It's just too important and you need to take the lead on that. This is so helpful, Charlie, when this, this whole idea of the different agilities, the way you're thinking about that, the patterns you mentioned before too, it's like the story, the deal, the plan, right? Mm-hmm. This is all part of your selling it, getting, getting people on, on the same page. You said you have overseen as many as 60,000 people. Mm-hmm. You found that you needed to get 25 or 30 of the right people on board, right? Is that yep. remember that number right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So good. Part, part of what is also difficult for a leader is their people are everywhere now. When, when we started, and I don't want to go back too far, but IT, when I was a, a, a programmer or systems engineer with IBM, the developers used to sit with the business people in the 60s. I mean, we sat there and we listened to what they said and we wrote code. And then in the 70s, we went into IT organizations. They rounded us up and went into IT organizations and put us in a part of the building because it was about career development and stuff. But we were still in the building with the business people, right? In the 80s and 90s, we start, in the 80s, we started moving IT out because the building got so full, we were a unit that could be picked up and moved. So we were in the same city, but we were in another building. We had a drive back and made us a little more distant between us and our business partners. And then in the 90s, we started offshoring and outsourcing and to where people are all over the globe. And now with COVID, people are not even in the city, not even in a building. They could be anywhere, right? That is not helping (laughs) finding these 30 people and building that core group that can help you, right? So now people are trying to have the pendulum swing back a little bit. One of my uh, people in our class, we had a community call this week, and she's going to write a blog on this because the idea came up and everybody said, what a great idea, right? And her idea was, and this is how people help each other. When we used to do offsites, and this was her point, we had a very intentional agenda. 
we would work on it before the offsite and people would come in, they knew what they had to do. We had time for breaks and everything else. She believes we ought to do that for on-sites when leaders come in for the day. Don't just come in and wander around the building. Let's be very intentional about we're going to have lunch together. We're going to do this together because people end up going into the building now and they're sitting in their office on Zoom 200 feet away. They're missing the point. They're working and it's very effective for work, but it's not effective for ideation and relationship building and trust. I thought when the Agile era was coming that the developers would be close to the business people like they were in the 60s and we were going full 360. We need to figure out ways to get the distance shrunk, however we do it, between the people doing the development and design and the people that need the work. And that's kind of a back to the future move. But electronically, we've got to be creative. It's never going to happen that we're all going to be in the same building again. Well, you made the point in the first episode, given the, the, the technology, the tools, the capabilities, there's nothing that we can't do now. It's just a matter of our ability to imagine it and to think it and to, uh, and to go do it. And Charlie, I have a, uh, another audience question here for you. In the first uh, episode, Ken Spangler from FedEx provided a great question about tapping into your expertise around many generations of transformations and your learnings there. Let's listen in as Ken has another question for you this time around a modern digital mindset. Charlie, you and I have often talked about how important digital literacy is for modern leaders today, including for all business leaders. So as you've educated and influenced business leaders for decades now, what would you stress as keys to success today for any business leader who's interested in leading with a modern digital mindset? Thanks. Yeah, that's, that's a great question, Ken, and it really is a major part of the success equation, right? And business leaders like IT leaders have been specialized over the years. So within business, it's very hard to find general managers that have run the business from the beginning like a Herman Lay that no manufacturing, distribution, sales, marketing, and so forth, because the body of knowledge, people grow up very vertically. The problem set we're dealing with now, because what was the problem set during the industrial era, and up until probably 2000 or so, right, was functional excellence. You would hear it over and over again. Jack Welsh, functional excellence, functional excellence, it was like football, right? Where your ability to have linemen that had a job to go do on that play, they didn't really have to, they, they just knew they needed to block out or block down. And the, you know, the running back was the skill and he had to find the hole and stuff like that. So function, function, function was more like football. As we moved into the 21st century, a lot of the value had been achieved functionally, but there was leakage between functions. So when you look east and west of sales and how they need to work with distribution and manufacturing and marketing and finance, the value of an integrated supply chain, the value of an omni-channel experience, right? 
the real ability to bend the cost curve became more of a team sport. That's what we keep talking about, team of teams, which was more basketball-like, where no two times down the court is it ever the same. So you got to learn how to work east and west. And companies did a pretty good job of rotating the top leaders from one function to another, from one business unit to another as part of their development. They did it great at PepsiCo, right? People would be in marketing and they'd move them into operations for two years and so forth. So you get a little bit of a feel for peripheral vision. What's happened now, and in particularly a post-COVID world, the sport has changed one more time to hockey, where you've got to not just go down the field like in basketball, you still need to be functionally excellent as a, as a goalie or a wing or whatever, but no two times down the court is it the same. And it's so fast that you've got to anticipate where the puck is. So the nature of the way business people need to think about the problem is east, west in real time, not functional. And that's a big change for them. One of the reasons we made the videos right, is Kenny felt, like I said before, that the IT people actually get this and we, we understand because we think in process and we think cross-functional and cross-business unit in a lot of ways. But, you know, we've got to create a language of visuals where the business people can see that omni-channel is not the chief marketing officer's job that an integrated supply chain is not just the supply chain leader's job. <laughs> That's why that core of 30 people is so important. So we're trying to create different ways of getting people to think about the problem. And if you can, light bulbs go off in people's heads. But again, you're not going to get the whole organization. You got to get friends. You got to get people that are influencers I doubt if you're going to get the senior VPs or the executive VPs, but you can get a lot of the VPs and see that influence people. And that's why that's so important. But again, I mean, it's a, just a massive effort of the change dynamic. And uh, Ken's been great at that because he's very alert, very aware to not just the technology, but the business has got to come along. The thing that Callaway taught me, he, he, he learned in a different way over time you, that you can't row this boat with one oar. So. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great visual. I always like to say, Charlie, when it comes to these organizational dynamics, the allies and so forth, you want people speaking about this on your behalf when you're not in the room, right? And, and what happens, I find, Charlie, I just run this by you, but I find that a lot of times in our profession, even at the C-suite level, CR level, we become kind of a flounder when it comes to these dynamics. We we bury ourselves in the sand. Just let me do the work. Just want to get the stuff done. And we don't engage in those influencing, building relationships, and it derails our, our initiatives. And I say, rather than being a flounder, be the dolphin. Dolphins come up for air. They build relationships. They're playful. They're fun. They, uh, they communicate. They know who plays golf with who. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, just help people think about these things in different ways. Charlie, I always love your heart. I mean, I've known you for a long time. You did this as a CIO. You're doing it now with the Institute, but about developing future leaders. You're very passionate about it. You're very good at it. 
you know, we're so pleased here to be able to donate $125,000 in scholarships to our TechLX leadership program. As you know, from listening to the show, we give you the ability to gift a scholarship and that to one of your favorite nonprofits. So just want to see, Charlie, is there somebody that comes to mind that you'd like to gift that? It's a nine-month leadership development program. Yeah, I think that, you know, there's so many places in need, but, you know, I got very connected to St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. And, you know, the work they're doing is just pretty incredible, even down to what's going on in the Ukraine right now. They sent a team over to get the kids out and bring them here, but also the network of hospitals they have in Europe. But they are absolutely crushing children's cancer. And, you know, it's just one of those things that probably the worst thing a, a, a parent or a grandparent could hear is that your grandchild has cancer and it's no longer as scary as it was when Danny Thomas and Joe Hager started this thing 50 years ago. So anything we can do to help them, that'd be great. That's amazing. Yeah, what a Memphis, one of the top medical institutions in the country, one of the very top for children. And I know Keith Perry, their CIO, uh, he's very active and and growing his people. So he'll really appreciate this, Charlie. So thank you for that. Good. So Charlie, let's put a, let's put a big ball around this two-part series. And again, we've talked about, you know, some of the, uh, the challenges ahead of us, the, the, the chaotic nature of what's coming and the complexity, the legacy, but you, you and I believe that there's still never been a better time to be in this profession. So take us out on that note in terms of how you see the opportunities, the future, and how folks can take advantage of it. Yeah, I think the reason I'm encouraged is because in in the 80 companies we're working with, you know, there are about six, almost 700 people that have been through the program. And there's this thirst for learning, right? They are carving out the time, (laughs) right? And that's the first step. But I see this willingness to learn, to share, to not be arrogant about things. And I'm very upbeat about this next generation of leaders. You know, the thing that is, I think, important to them is to be patient in the company that they're in. There's such a tendency to jump from one to the other because they're hot prospects. It, It doesn't go well with building relationships if every two years you get you, you take the next opportunity as opposed to now having said that if you're in a company that doesn't have the will to change and you're talented so the reason you change you know i think they've got really good values you know the thing that i've been impressed with is the value system that these folks have. And they're, they're not young. I mean, they're not tw- in their 20s. I mean, these people are in their 40s, and, you know, early 50s for the most part. It gives me great confidence that we will figure this out. There's a lot of excitement, but there's also a lot of risk, right? And continuously learning is important. And that's why I made the point that learning from me is only part of the equation. I'm learning from people like Ken and Cisco and, you know, Seth and Vipin and Ted, you know, all the people we're talking about. 
So this, this thirst for learning, this technology has never been brighter and things that we never thought we can do, we proved we can do when COVID hit. I mean, I've never seen an industry, an industry like IT respond in days to things that would have taken forever. And my, my wife is on a board of a university hospital here in town. And when COVID hit, the doctors weren't too interested in telemedicine, nor were the patients. But when COVID hit, so it's, it was a hard push for the IT people to get anybody interested in telemedicine. When COVID hit, people couldn't see their patients. So the doctors reluctantly got on, the patients reluctantly got on because it was the only way to do it. And now they won't get off. You know, we, we've got to take the opportunity of the tailwind that's coming. Let's just call it the wind that's coming and take, make it be a tailwind. Don't let it be a headwind and don't let it be a crosswind. Use the wind to get you to where you want to go. And I think, you know, I'm very optimistic that we will. It's a great perspective. Courage is a choice. These things are a choice. Satya Nadella at Microsoft, I think, summed up what you just said very well. One of his early mantras in getting Microsoft where it is today is we're going to shift from being a know-it-all to a learn-it-all company. That arrogance to that listen and learn, that humility and Proofs in the pudding. They're over two trillion, or they were <laughs> over two trillion market cap company. And well, Charlie's so good. And and I know folks are going to want to continue to learn from you. You mentioned the 80 companies that you're impacting, but you're impacting our society. And we really appreciate that. We appreciate you, Charlie. And you and I are going to also work on a blog together that's going to get published next Thursday on CIO.com. So that'll be some additional unique content. So I encourage people to go there. And again, it's the it's the Feld Group Institute, correct? That's the website. So loaded with resources, make time, think, go study, learn, continuous learning. And Charlie, on behalf of everybody, we so appreciate you. Thanks so much for making the time. Well, thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. And it's been fun. Developing a robust pipeline of future-ready IT leaders who know how to show up and engage differently is paramount to success today. If you would like to learn more about the Tech LX Leadership Development Program that Dan talks about in the podcast, we invite you to visit techwhisperers.net. Equip your workforce with a new mindset and skill set needed to maximize impact, increase engagement, and build a world-class talent magnet brand. You've been listening to Tech Whispers, inside the playbook of the best digital leaders, a Woolet and Associates podcast. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you like what you've heard, please rate the show as this helps us connect the world's best digital leaders with those who aspire to learn, grow, and thrive in this amazing profession. Thanks for listening. Until next time.